Romans 8.28 still says that God works together for good for those who love him. Which means that even when something tragic has occurred in the life of a church family, that God can somehow take out of those tragic circumstances something good. He can make something good out of a hard time. And my impression is that there might be good things that will ultimately come out of a hard time. I say all of that to say, uh, in one sense, just for information, but also because we're not unaffected by this, of course. And, you know, we made the announcement a couple of weeks ago, but we haven't talked since then about what it means for ourselves as a church family to have to deal with these kind of circumstances. Sometimes bad things come into our lives, challenging things, things that we would just as soon not have to deal with, but nonetheless, they come. What will be our attitude when those things come? Uh, There was a 46-year-old man came home one day from work, beat plopped into his chair in the living room and said to his wife, I feel half dead. To which his wife responded, actually, you're probably a little further than half. (laughs) And that's indeed the way it is for a lot of us this morning, no doubt. It'd be nice to think that life was just rosy and that you were all just doing fantastically and we would come together after having shoveled our driveways this morning and are just feeling great about it all. But if you're like me, you're not. I got up this morning and I looked at the snow. After, after I had taken a shower and gotten dressed and got ready for the morning. And then I go out and shovel the snow. And I'm not going to go take another shower. So don't get close to me today. Okay? But these things happen. What are you going to do when they do? I want you to turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. In the Pew Bibles, if you're grabbing one right now, you'll probably be way speedier than those who have their own this morning. Page 472. 472 in the Pew Bibles. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. There's a sense in which this is a weird passage. It's not what you would expect. You read the Bible and you think, God's just going to tell us all the good stuff in Scripture. But not exactly. In fact, if you read through this whole book of Ecclesiastes, you're going to find that it's not at all just the good stuff. Chapter 1, verse 3 says, What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? And you you know, you think the answer is going to come back, much indeed. But that's not what happens. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. In other words, we don't make much of an impact. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, he says. Now, it's interesting because up until now, it might just be, well, things are just in a cycle. Things repeat themselves. Things just go on and on. But then all of a sudden, he turns in verse 8 to all things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. 
It was here already long ago. It was there before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Wow. There is no remembrance of men and old. That doesn't mean that old men lose their memories. That means you're not going to be remembered. Some history book could possibly record you if you are a great figure of history and somehow you'll be remembered. But as far as I know, there isn't one of you in this room today, and I certainly include myself, I am not going to be in the history books. If I make it into my own family's history, I'm going to feel good about that. Okay? You're not going to make it into the history books. And so all the things that you're working for that you think are so good, that you think are so valuable, all the ways in which you concentrate on what you're doing and you focus and you think, I'm going to pour my life into something meaningful, there's a good chance that it's meaningless. There's a good chance that it is simply not going to last or be meaningful in the long run. Wow discouraging thought we thought we were going to come here this morning and and maybe be encouraged peter said that we should be encouraged this morning in the lord the writer of ecclesiastes is not doing a great job of encouraging us well i think it's interesting that the writer of ecclesiastes is so realistic we'd like to think that everything would, maybe in Scripture and coming from God, be just all rosy. But God himself is saying through this writer, it's not all just rosy. There is a lot of life that is drudgery. There's a lot of life that is meaningless. There's a lot of life that is not fun. Anybody have anything happen in this week that you, you would say, you know, really, honestly, if i got to be truthful, this just wasn't that fun. Of course. There were things that happened to you this week that just weren't that great. And in reference to the whole journey thing, the fact is is that that event in the life of churches in Calgary and churches of Christ and even for our own body is not absolutely fantastic. Sometimes life just tumbles in and it's not like we would like it to be. It's just not. And we might as well... Might as well just admit it. Murphy's Laws. Nothing is as easy as it looks. Everything takes longer than you think. If anything can go wrong, it will. Second Murphy's Law. Murphy was an optimist. A day without a crisis is a total loss, someone once said. The other line always moves faster. The chance of bread falling with the peanut butter and jelly side down is is directly proportional to the cost of the carpet. I think that's true. Inside every large problem is a series of small problems struggling to get out. 90% of everything is worthless. I mean, you think about the the little things that you buy in a great big package, and you throw the great big package away, and the only thing that's left is that little thing. And, And you probably paid for most of what you're throwing away. Or I should say, most of your money went toward what was being thrown away. Whatever hits the fan will not be evenly distributed. No matter how long or hard you shop for an item, after you've bought it, it will be on sale somewhere else cheaper. Any tool dropped while repairing a car will roll underneath to the exact center of the vehicle on which you're working. I think that's right. 
the repairman will never have seen a model quite like yours before. <laughs> I had that experience just recently. It was very frustrating. You will remember that you forgot to take out the trash when the garbage truck is two doors away. Isn't that true? I do that every week. Friends come and go, but enemies accumulate. <laughs> the light at the end of the tunnel is the headlamp of an oncoming train. Beauty is only skin deep, but ugly goes clear to the bone. Well, I think that there are some truisms there. There's some things about life that we would actually say are true. Now, here's the world's answer to that. The world listens to those laws of life and says, if you're going to get through this, the best thing you can do is to have a positive mental attitude. You ever heard that? Ever been to a seminar where somebody suggested that the way to get through all of the struggles that you face in life is to face them with a positive attitude? And if, if not a positive attitude, then they're going to have some kind of structure of ideas or procedures that you can put together in order for you to negotiate your way through all the struggles that you're going to face in life. We recognize this about the world. They, they, they know that there are some good things that could come their way if they had a better attitude, and so they tend to say, let's focus on those. Several years ago, there was a book written by a rabbi, Harold Kushner, who was talking about when bad things happen to good people. And he wrote the book. It, I, I didn't think it was a very good book. Uh, so we got that on my shelf somewhere. I thought the book was just okay. Uh, I thought he said some things that weren't particularly theologically sound. But he did say one thing that I thought was really important, and it was something like this. He said, and this is someone else talking about Kushner. Among the prisoners in Kushner's POW camp was one tough young Marine, 24 years old, who had already survived two years of prison camp life in relatively good health. Part of the reason for this was that the camp commander had promised to release the man if he cooperated. Since this time he had been, uh, since this had been done before uh, with the other Marines who'd gone before him, he had good reason to think that indeed this would be the case. As time passed, though, he gradually realized that he had been lied to. He was not going to be released. And so for two years in the POW camp, he'd been a model prisoner, had a great attitude. Everything was absolutely wonderful. But then he realized that he had been lied to. They were not going to release him. When the full realization of this took hold, he became a zombie. He refused to do all work, rejected all offers of food and encouragement, and simply lay on his cot, sucking his thumb. In a matter of weeks, he was dead. Now there is some truth then to what the world says to us about positive mental attitude. There are some, there are some ways in which we can face our crises and our circumstances, and they're going to improve if you have a better attitude. There's no question about that. The problem is, is that Life sometimes is way bigger than your positive mental attitude. And I would suggest that those people who say things like, well, just have a great attitude about this, haven't faced some of the darker issues of real life. Like, what do you do if you're Debbie Hodgson and you're experiencing what Debbie is experiencing? For some reason, it seems to me like it'd be a little bit calloused. 
if I called Debbie on this phone and I said, Deb, I've known you for 20 years. You just need to have a great attitude. You're going to do okay. I think that'd be calloused. And I don't think it would do any good for Debbie at all. And that's because ultimately the world doesn't have the answers that human beings need when it comes to the darkest, deepest things, the problems of life that we face. If I found out that my wife had a terminal disease and I thought she was going to be dead in four months, I just don't know if it would work for you to tell me that I should have a great attitude about it. And so what is it that's going to sustain us? And I, I partially want to do this today because for us to think about something like Journey Church having to go through what they go through, or are going through right now, I should say, or for us to have to face even ourselves what it means for us to plant a church, and for those good people whom we love so much to have to go through all of the hurt and all the pain that they're going through. That says to me that we too have to think deeply about what it means for us to be sustained through pain and some of the difficult times of life. What a, what a contrast this is, by the way, to some of the messages that I hear on television from preachers who talk about how God wants us all to be so successful and so happy and he just wants to give us the good things. If God is so concerned that I'm just happy and he just wants to give me all the good things, why is it that so many good people that I know, good Christian people who love the Lord with all of their heart over the years, as I've watched them during my faith as a Christian, have had to endure great suffering? Because it does indeed happen. Why is, is that the case if God just wants good things for us constantly and nothing but health and wealth? It seems to me like there are different answers that Scripture gives about these circumstances and even about what our response is supposed to be. Viktor Frankl would say, he's the one, by the way, who wrote much about what it meant to be in a concentration camp. He would say that our attitudes can ultimately control the way that we respond to circumstances. And I think that, that he's got something right there. But I think scripture is going to tell us some things in just a moment about the kind of attitude that needs to prevail. The kind of mindset that we need to have in order to indeed triumph in our circumstances, even through the most difficult times. I want you to turn to Psalm 91. In your Bibles, this is page 424 if you're in the Pew Bible. Psalm 91. This was probably written 3,000 years ago. And so there's been 3,000 years of people testing this theory. And in my own life, just looking at life circumstances and the hard things that people face, it still seems to me like this is the only way that answers can come, the only place from which answers can come. Look at Psalm 91. He who dwells 
in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. And we could go on, but you already get the point. This is not positive mental attitude. This is not somebody just saying, I'm always going to be an optimist. Because being an optimist does not stop bad things from coming into your life. And I'm afraid that so often being an optimist, after you've been beat down and 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 beat down, it's pretty hard to be one. And I say that as an optimist. What will sustain you is this and this only. The relationship that you have with God. That's it. You have to put yourselves in the hands of God. Because that's the place that you will find comfort and peace. That's the place that you will find the ability to transcend your circumstances. And if you're going to have an optimistic, positive attitude, it's not going to, become, uh, not going to be because you drummed that up within yourself. It's going to come because you relied on the creator of the universe and he blessed you. Now I want you to turn to Haggai chapter 2 of all places. Haggai chapter 2. For those in the Pew Bibles, it's on page 668. Haggai is three books before the end of the Old Testament. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. If our 66 club was in here, they could do it. You know, I really feel like the Lord gave me this passage this week. I really feel like God's Spirit led me to read this text. I had a meeting on Thursday night with uh, a number of other people. The journey leadership, lots of us, uh, there were probably 12 or 13 people there talking about journey and where it was headed and what God should do in this circumstance or what we would want God to do and how we would be blessed by him. The next morning, I just happened to read this passage, and so I sent it to Steve Butel and to Dale Hildebrand and to Malcolm McMillan. I said, you need to read Haggai chapter 2. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, Jehozadak, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. So speak to them, prophet. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? And what he's saying is, do you remember in the days before the exile, before Israel went into captivity in Babylon, how there was this great temple? 
and how God dwelled in that temple. Do you remember, those of you who can remember, do you remember those days of what that was like? And now, when you look for that temple, and when you look at the temple mount, do you see that there's nothing there? And doesn't that sound awful? Does it not seem to you like nothing, he says, at the end of verse 3? Verse 4, But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Do you hear that? Like he says, there is no temple now. It's been destroyed. It looks like we have no hope. But let me tell you, the gold is mine. The silver is mine. The new temple is going to be mine. You are going to rebuild. And at the very end, he says, there will be peace. We think there are other places that we're going to find peace. We think there are other ways that we need to find comfort. And God says, turn to me. So let me give you some... (laughs) They seem almost trite. Pieces of advice. But what do you do when things are down? What do you do when things are not what you want them to be? When things are hard? The first thing is this. Simply... Be tenacious about prayer and study. Be tenacious about it. Force yourself to do it. If you don't feel like studying the Bible and you don't feel like praying, then isn't that a sign that you need to study and pray? It is. Like you need to study and you need to pray even when you don't feel like it because God, through that, is going to bless you. He's going to come, He's going to be present. And you're going to be blessed. The second thing is, pray specifically for the presence of God's Spirit. Pray specifically for God's Spirit to be with you. The Spirit is the comforter. The Spirit is the presence of God. And when you need God more than ever, and you know those times when you do, that's the time when you need to make sure that you specifically pray for the presence of God's Spirit. A third thing is, write down the things that God has done for you. Remember what God has done. That's exactly what the prophet is saying to Zerubbabel. He's saying, do you remember the temple before? Can you envision what that was like? Right now it looks like there's nothing. But remember, I'm the one who owns the gold. I'm the one who owns the silver. I owned it before. I can build temples. I will do it again. We need to remember what God has done for us. A fourth thing is, Do something gracious and kind and sacrificial for someone else. 
Do something gracious and kind and sacrificial for someone else. It's exactly what Jesus did. He's in the garden. He's faced with the most horrific possibilities. But he chooses to carry through with it anyway. And he does an unselfish act for humankind. And in the end, because of that, he is put back together with his father. Another thing is to learn something new about your circumstances. Haggai taught the people something new about their circumstances, that the, the templeless mount was going to have a temple again. And when they heard that, no doubt, it stirs in the people hope. And then, if nothing else, intentionally recite history in your mind, especially what God has done. When I think about what God has done in the history of his dealings with his people, when I think of all the things that human beings have gone through, all the dark days that they have faced, when they stop for a moment and remember what it is that God has throughout history done for his people, that's the only time when real hope can come to us. And so I know that there are people in this room who in various ways have heard over the journey thing. It's been painful. For the people there, there's probably a, a whole lot more pain that's going to still happen. And there are other things in your lives, maybe completely separate from that, which cause you pain in various ways. And to remember the Lord and to reflect on your relationship with him, and to pray for the Spirit, to read and study, even when you don't want to. Through those things, God is going to bless you. And here we are, in the midst of this fellowship this morning, being able even to share together this aspect of our lives in Christ. And to know that the other people around you are focused also on what God is doing in their lives and is bringing them peace and comfort. And for us to share not only our woes, but the great blessing of peace that comes to us in Jesus is indeed so sustaining. Let's pray. Lord God, we need you so badly. We need your comfort and your peace. We need to have you come and, and work among us. Father, I pray for every person here who hurts in some way, that they would throw themselves at your feet, that they would rest secure in the relationship that they have with you, that the comfort that flows from you to them through the presence of your spirit will be incredibly real. They will know it and sense it. Help them to possess your presence with them. Make them one with you. For we know, Lord, that it's only in that that we will find genuine peace. Comfort your people. Comfort your people, God. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.